0: Well good morning everyone, that's sure an exciting video to see and an exciting opportunity for our students here. Uh, we are continuing in our series of Acts, uh, We Are the Church, and when I was preparing uh, this message or these messages with Aaron and Josh, uh, or Aaron, Josh and, um, and Mike, um, I looked ahead and knew that I really wanted to tell the story of Priscilla and Aquila. Um, And it just so happens that their story in the series that we put together falls on Valentine's weekend, which I think is somewhat coincidental, but a a wonderful coincidence, because we're going to study today the life of this marriage. And my goal is very simple here this morning. Um, I have an outcome for everybody. Um, If you are married, this is going to be a challenge for you to really consider together how your marriage, as it currently is, can further strengthen and grow in Christ, and more importantly, how your marriage can be used as a vehicle to continue and advance the gospel. If you are not married and planning to be married someday, I think there are some practical principles in here for what to think about in your future spouse, what to think about in your future marriage. And if you are at a life stage where maybe you've lost your spouse, I pray that it's an opportunity for you to reflect back on Those memories with your spouse and the lessons that you are imparting to your children and your grandchildren and maybe your great grandchildren. We were at a basketball tournament yesterday in Omaha with uh, Joey's team, and uh, a lot of us were sitting around the breakfast table yesterday morning, kind of reminiscing on Valentine's Day. And the question came up well, how did you meet your spouse? How did you meet your husband? How did you meet your wife? And I immediately went back to the 4th of July in 1997, which was almost 20 years ago. And I was part of a fantastic baseball team at Westwood High School that year. It was um, the the team that was probably probably had the most success in school history. We were about ready to go to the state baseball tournament. But the best game that we played that season was the one that got rained out. Because um, my cousin Lori Dumas had told me about this camp counselor that she had met when she was at Bible camp over in the Black Hills and she said, Jeff, I just gotta have you meet this girl. I think you two would really hit it off. And so um, it was July 4th when she told me about Beth. Um, We had a very brief phone call and we said, well, when the baseball schedule frees up, maybe we can get together sometime. And so we were getting ready to play Galva Holstein that night. I'll never forget it. It was gonna be for the conference championship and the skies opened up and it began to rain about five o'clock and so I, I got up enough courage to pick up the phone I called Beth she was in Sioux Falls and we went and had coffee together that night and the rest is history um, best, best rain out ever in baseball uh, was, was that night but as I think about Beth and I think about our relationship and how it grew um, we were not alike in a lot of ways um, Beth tells me that about two weeks after we first met, the first thing she did was she went to her dad, who was a baseball fanatic, and said, Dad, you got to teach me everything you can about baseball, because I don't know anything about it. I know Jeff likes it, and I'm kind of doing the same thing with some of the things I know that she's interested in. But I really knew we were different when I took her to her first Iowa Hawkeye football game, Kinnick Stadium. And we were driving there, and she turns to me, and you know what she says? She says, Jeff when we go to these games, do you usually stay for the whole thing? <laughs> oh, man. I said, Beth, we are going to be there two hours early. We're going to be there an hour after. And then we're probably going to run over and watch the basketball scrimmage because it's October and we can go watch the basketball team. So, yeah, we stay for the whole, the whole thing. But, but the point I'm trying to make here in introducing this message this morning is when we are, when we are in relationship with that person that we're in love with, we're not always going to be the same. We're going to bring differences. We're not going to bring all of the same interests. But what we are going to bring, hopefully, first and foremost, is our centeredness in Christ. And it's from that centeredness in Christ that our relationship begins to grow, and we begin to actually grow from the things that make us different. And Priscilla and Aquila are going to be an excellent example of that, and we're going to study them in depth today. And the goal being, when we finish this lesson this morning, I want us all leaving here with the idea of what can our marriage, or if I'm not married, what can my closest relationships do in order to submit to the gospel and to advance the gospel. That's our word for today. We began four weeks ago with the idea of this was a movement of witnesses. These were the people who first saw the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. They saw him with their own eyes, and they began to proclaim. And through their proclamation, a movement begins to grow. And the early church begins to develop. And we see throughout all of the entire book of Acts, the number of times, and it was mentioned here earlier today in one of the the videos, the power of the Holy Spirit in advancing that gospel. And then we talked about the boldness. Lyle mentioned this at the meditation table this morning for communion. The way that people spoke and acted boldly in proclaiming Christ. And we're going to go another step further today by looking at how the church continues to advance, and more importantly, how the church advances all through the power of the Holy Spirit, but through ordinary people like Priscilla and Aquila, through ordinary people like you and me. That's where we're going to go next. Because I think all of these things matter. They matter not only to our faith, but they matter to our marriages and to our relationships and to our families and to the communities that we are a part of. You see, there are two central figures in Acts. There's Peter, who we learn about early in the book. And in Acts 2, we hear Peter preaching and proclaiming the repentance and the baptism and the salvation that's found in Christ. But by Acts chapter 9, we're also going to be introduced to another big lion in the New Testament. And that, of course, is Paul. And Paul's relationship with Priscilla and Aquila is going to be critical. And there's a lot of life applications that we're going to take from it. So, before we get into Priscilla and Aquila, I just want to share with you if you've never heard this before, or if it'd be a good refresher, I want to mention how Paul goes from being Saul to being Paul. How he goes from a man who was once persecuting the way, the movement, the people who are advancing the gospel, to becoming the biggest proponent and the most powerful leader of the movement. And we find that in Acts chapter 9. And if you have your Bibles, I don't have this in your notes. But I do want to take just a moment to read a piece of Acts chapter 9. Because this is the moment when Saul completely does a 180. It says, Saul was breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. This isn't just somebody who's sitting behind the scenes complaining about this movement. This is someone who is actively trying to stop it with violence if necessary. This is a persecutor of the early followers. And so he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there were who belonged to the way, who belonged to this movement that we're learning about, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And for those of you who have been in this faith for a long time, you know this story very well. He fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hands to Damascus. For 3 days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called him to him in a vision. He said, "Ananias." Ananias answers, "Yes, Lord." And the Lord told him, "Go to the house of Judas on straight street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying." In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Ananias is scared here. He's like, you're telling me to go take care of Saul? This guy, I've heard what he's doing to Christians and he's nervous about this. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who are in your name. But the Lord said, go. This man is my chosen instrument. I want you to note that. Underline it in your Bible if you have it. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands upon Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up, he was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. I still think that's one of the most powerful stories in the New Testament, the conversion, the literal conversion of Paul. And as Lyle mentioned in the the communion meditation, so many things that take place in the book of Acts, so many things that are taking place in the world as the church is moving is completely led and ordained by the Spirit of God. Things that are beyond any human comprehension are taking place with the fingerprints of God. And here's one of them. Paul has immediately reached out. He's touched, he's blinded, and he's converted. It's an amazing account. And here's why this is so significant. Here's the first of several applications that we're going to have as we go through the message this morning. And that is simply this. It is the power of how God can use any single one of us. Our sins, our mistakes our frailties, our weaknesses, our meanness, any of the things that may keep us separated from God. When we submit to God, he has the power to transform our lives. All that he requires from us is obedience to serve. And when we make that choice, when we make that step, there's no telling what God is capable of using any of us to do. I think it's really cool how it's almost like he shows his power by working through with some of the most frail and some of the most flawed people throughout the New Testament. It's as if he's saying, I don't need your talents, I don't need your skills, I just need your obedience. And to prove that, I'm going to use someone like Paul, who once persecuted people in my name, and I'm going to completely convert him, and he is going to be my strongest advocate, my strongest Proponent. Do you know that out of the 27 books in the New Testament, 13 of them come from the pen of Paul, who was formerly persecuting Christians, and now he is the number one leading the charge? Only God is capable of that. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. But here's what else we know about leaders good leaders. I don't care whether it's Peter in this time or whether it's Paul or any of the other apostles. These men needed other brave and godly people supporting them. They needed them surrounding them, preparing them, encouraging them, and most importantly, working with them. And I think that's one of the great themes in life. As this church continues to advance, whether it was 2,000 years ago or today, all leaders need everyone around them encouraging, praying, preparing, and helping every single day. Paul mentions in his letter to the Romans in verse 16, 4, he says to the church in Rome, and we're going to get into this couple in just a moment. He says, I want you to greet Priscilla and Aquila, my co-workers in Christ Jesus. They risk their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. There are six references throughout Scripture in the New Testament that are going to refer to this couple, Priscilla and Aquila. And it's time, I think, that we acquaint ourselves with them because they are an example of the power of a marriage, the power of a close couple in advancing the gospel. That's a key word, as I said um, before, a key word from today's message to build on our understanding of Acts is this idea of advancing now from boldness to boldness to movement, to advancement. You see, spirit-filled people have spirit-filled relationships. And spirit-filled relationships build spirit-filled families. And it's these spirit-filled families that fill local churches that impact the world. I think that's the way God designs this. And so coincidentally on this Valentine's weekend, we are going to see this in the context of relationship and marriage this morning. We're going to see it through the context of Priscilla and Aquila. The most powerful testimony that you or I have to proclaim Jesus Christ is our lives and our marriages. Marriages exemplify or picture the love of Christ for the church. It's why Paul writes in Ephesians 5.25, he says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now, we spent our Valentine's Day in three different gyms yesterday. I owe my wife a little more for Valentine's Day. I'm going to figure out how to have a nice dinner sometime soon. But it's not that so much that I'm trying to point out. Is simply this. First of all, men, we have an obligation. Our first obligation is to love our wives just as Christ loves this church. And we set that tone. We set that example. And we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of John as we lead up to Easter and we take a look at those upper room conversations. But it was the Lord Jesus in the upper room in John 15, 12. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one other than this, that to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. And so when we begin now to examine the roles that Aquila and Priscilla are going to play, we're going to take a look at that through the context of what they gave, how they served, and what they did. And now we're going to sort of get into the notes and the, and, the, and the background and context of all of this. So if we start with Acts 18, 24 to 26. I've got these in your notes. I'd like you to follow along with me. Let's take a look at the power of a marriage that is sold out for Christ. We begin with Paul. And it says, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. And then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Lyle mentioned earlier about just as you take the chair time to really go through the scripture, one of the things that I've been struck by as we've been preparing these messages for Acts is just the movement of Paul himself. This guy is constantly on the go. He's constantly going from one place to another because time is ticking. And the word needs to get spread. And every time he's leaving one place, he's hopefully equipped other people to kind of hold the fort here so he can move on to here and here and here. And I want you to see that as we go through this passage of Scripture. Notice how many times he's moving. He's first going to Ephesus. He says, before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at centuries because a vow of his had been taken. And they arrived at Ephesus where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then he sent sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. He is all over the place. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia, that's the church where Galatians is written, and Phrygia, strengthening all of the disciples. So as he's moving, there's two things that he's doing. Number one, he is having these debates, these respectful debates in the synagogue about the role of Jesus and trying to convert and to convince Jewish leaders that Jesus is the Messiah. So he's he's got that on his plate. Meanwhile, he's equipping disciples who are going to continue the movement with each spot that he's landed. And Priscilla and Aquila are going to fall in to that spot as we're going to learn. He was a learned man. Okay, I'm sorry, back one second. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos. We're going to look into this in a moment. A Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. I want you to note that. we got this really polished speaker, this learned man who's coming, and he's starting to gather a crowd, but notice what he's missing. He's missing a complete understanding of the role of Jesus. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and notice what Priscilla and Aquila do. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him into their home, we're going to note that as well, and explain to him the way of God more adequately. Now take a wild guess at what they are going to have to do to explain this more adequately. What blanks do you think they're filling in for Apollo's? In all of his teaching, he's missing out. He's talking about the baptism of John, but who should he really be talking about? Jesus. Now guess what? Paul's not here, is he? You've got a man who's coming who is clearly an energetic, uh, charismatic person and people are going to follow, but he's giving some wrong teaching. Who is in place to gently help him go the right way? It's Priscilla and Aquila. Powerful. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Did you catch that? You've got this amazingly gifted speaker a learned man who has all the power and potential in the world to can help advance the gospel. But he was not fully accurate in his teaching, and it's Priscilla and Aquila who sort of pull him aside. We can imagine them maybe opening up their home for a day and spending it with him, gently persuading, debating, encouraging, whatever it took. But what we know is by the end of this account, Apollos is now out actively preaching the name of Jesus Christ. That's influence. And that's what Priscilla and Aquila begin to do. And so, as we advance their story a little bit, I want to take a little bit of a closer look at who they were. What's their story? What's behind what they did? And this is what I learned. In, in the year 52 AD, the Roman Emperor Claudius issues an edict and he's going to expel all the Jews from the city of Rome. This happened quite often. Look, the king is, or the, the Caesar is in full control. If he doesn't like something that's going on in his province, he has every right to do whatever he wants and so he expels all the Jews. And Aquila was one of those expelled. And so he migrates from Rome from the migrates excuse me to Rome from the province of Pontus. He brings his belongings, he says goodbye to his friends and he embarks then for the city of Corinth. And standing by his side is his faithful wife Priscilla. And we learn throughout all of Scripture, these two are constantly referred to as being together. Not one name occurs without the other. They are a tag team. They are a tandem. And if I can give you one, another application, it's simply this. In your marriage, in your relationship, be that kind of a tag team. Because we have challenges in life. And we are always stronger when the one we love is closest with us through all of them. They are a tag team. They make their living together, and they are going to even house Paul during times of his ministry. If you go back to Acts 18, 1 through 4, we learn two important points about this couple. In verse 3, we learned that they were tent makers. That's what they did by trade. And every Jewish boy in the New Testament was taught some kind of a trade or some kind of a skill. And tent making was a very important part of life in this day. And so it was wise for Aquila's parents probably to set him up to be an apprentice because this is a way he could make his living. But we learned that Aquila and Priscilla are working side by side in this business together. They are equal partners in the work that they're doing. The second thing we learn about them is that they are actually going to house Paul during times of his ministry Their home is open for him, open for meals, open for a place to stay, open for a place to converse. Their home was Paul's home. Pretty amazing couple. They must have not only been great friends, but they were also great companions. They were willing to give to each other. They were willing to accept suggestions as readily offered to them, and they must have enjoyed being together. And clearly, they had to enjoy working together. So if you were to do a little assessment of your relationship right now, how does that sound for you? Do you have that kind of relationship that you're building and restoring within your marriage, within your closest relationships? And as we learn in Acts chapter 18, Paul comes to work with them. He's even living with them. And they're living together and working together. And here's the key learning point through all of that. Your marriage and my marriage They cannot be complete without Christ at the center of it. We learn that throughout all of this entire passage. True openness can only be found in Christ. And it's foundational because this is the type of marriage that serves to bless the ministry of Paul. Because Aquila and Priscilla are so close, and because their faith has grown so deeply, they are more freely able to give to Paul, which allows Paul to advance his ministry the Holy Spirit's at work the whole time. I have no doubt about that. But the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people like Priscilla and Aquila are allowing the boots-on-the-ground kind of work to be done that's allowing Paul to move from place to place because he likely has Priscilla's and Aquila's all over the place. One of the greatest things that we can do in our families and in our marriages is to figure out ways that we can support not only our church but those who are leading in the church through encouragement encouragement through support, through prayer, through hands-on work. These are the lessons that they learn. Aquila and Priscilla are growing in the Word, and they're growing in their actions. And I think this becomes another important piece of the puzzle in building our marriages and in building our families, and that is husbands and wives, we need to be constantly opening the Word, reading together, and praying together. I imagine that's what it looked like at the time that Priscilla and Aquila are working with Paul. Constant prayer, constant support. And now I want to take a look at what they specifically did with Apollos, this teacher who came. The events that follow in that account in Acts show that Aquila and Priscilla were clearly aware of God's word. They clearly understood the message, the central message of the Christian faith. And so when Paul leaves Corinth to go to Ephesus, they first accompanied him. And then they move on to Antioch. And this is what's so providential about this move. Aquila and Priscilla went to hear him. They went to hear Apollos. And yes, they're impressed by his sincerity, his word, his love for God, how great of an orator he was. But his knowledge was incomplete. For he only talked about John the Baptist. He wasn't talking about Jesus. And as we learned in 1826, Priscilla and Aquila, they pull him aside And they give him the real account. And it's a moment that I want to give all of you that account as well today. And that is simply this. That Jesus dies a sacrificial and substitutionary death on the cross of Calvary for the sins of the world. they got to fill in that blank for Apollos. They tell him about the victorious resurrection from the tomb, the glorious ascension into heaven, and the personal salvation that only comes in faith in Jesus Christ. I picture that moment where they are filling in those blanks for Apollos. And once they've convinced him, Apollos is off and running. And there's another moment where the church advances. It's powerful stuff. And one of the key lessons I want us to take from this message this morning is the where they were likely doing a lot of this. The where was very likely their home. We learn in Scripture that their home was a meeting place for the Ephesian church. And that would not be the last time that their home would serve a purpose for furthering the gospel. Paul wrote an epistle to the Romans from Greece on his third missionary journey, and he said in Romans 16:3 through5, "That great Priscilla and Aquila. Fellow workers in Christ Jesus who, for my life, risked their own necks. Now, I don't know what they specifically did to put their lives at risk, but Paul makes it very clear. These folks have sacrificed for me. They have sacrificed for the movement. And from what I gather from these verses, they put their lives on the line. They lived as boldly as some of these other people that we've been learning about And he says, but also all the churches of the Gentiles also greet the church that is in, notice where it's at, it's in their house. They had hardly gotten to Rome and already there was a church that was meeting in their home. I think it's very important for us to remember that churches in the New Testament times could not always afford land and buildings. We think of church today and we think of a property We think of four walls, we think of a building, we think of a facility. But in the earliest, earliest of churches, there was no land that was being bought to build big buildings on. Where do you think people were having church? They were having church sort of underground in homes. And they open up their home constantly to spread the gospel. Important for us to remember that. They met in homes, and the home of Priscilla and Aquila was always open to people who wanted to learn more about Christ, and for Christians who wanted to grow in the word. So their mission was constantly to use their home to not only invite people in who hadn't heard the word, but then to invite people in like Apollos, who they could equip more strongly to prepare more boldly to go out and preach. And I want to paint one last scene before I leave a final application here. It had been 16 years, we learn, as we put all the scripture together, 16 years since Paul first met priscilla and aquila at corinth and now he is in a roman prison for the second time he's in prison and we know that paul was imprisoned several times during his missionary journeys and his death is near at the hands of nero he knows soon that he is going to be put to death and he's writing to timothy specifically in second timothy 419 and i want you to note what he writes in that line or in that verse He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. See, I think he's thinking of his dear friends who were there back in Ephesus, people Timothy was ministering, and he knows that his days are at an end, but he's also reflecting back on people like Priscilla and Aquila who have helped him, who've encouraged him, who have equipped him and have helped him advance the gospel. And he's remembering them in his final words as he's penning this letter. You see, Priscilla and Aquila teach us three things. And I think there are three applications that we can all bring to our marriage and to our worlds and our lives. And I don't have any blanks for you to fill in. I just want to walk through them point by point by point. Number one, they have a heart for hospitality. A heart for hospitality. That simply means that their homes, their home would be open to anyone who needed a place to land. Whether that was Paul who needed a place to stay or whether it was a seeker who needed to hear the word or whether it was someone young in the faith who needed to grow, their home was always open for someone in the name of Jesus. And I think that's especially powerful. One of the greatest lessons I've ever learned about tithing is to simply understand that, number one, God gives us the ability to do work. We should praise him for that. And every time we get a paycheck from our work, it's a reflection of a reward for the work that we've done. And to reward reward God for giving us that power to work, we give back a portion of our paycheck. That's called a tithe. And I think as Christians, we have to think seriously about how we view our homes as well. We view our homes as an opportunity to be part of our outreach of our faith. You know, Beth always had this line as the kids had been growing up. She said, Jeff, we're growing kids we're not growing grass so if I've got 12 kids out playing tackle football in the yard and they're tearing up the yard you know what we want our home to be a place where kids wanna come and hang out so if my grass is all messed up or if the grass gets all torn up you know what you can regrow grass but you got a window of time when you can grow kids We should want our homes to be the places where we want, whether it's our kids, whether it's our families, whether it's our neighbors, we have to have a heart of hospitality, just like Priscilla and Aquila. I can't imagine the number of people who were impacted as they went inside and outside of their home. And so we have to think about about things in terms of our home. The second thing is we have to have a heart for knowing Christ and proclaiming the truth. This was a marriage that was built on a foundation of we are going to serve first. We are going to love first. And so knowing Christ and proclaiming the truth is part of what every one of our marriages should be about. And number three, we have to have a heart for building the faith of others. We have to have a boldness and a willingness, just like they did with Apollos. Look, we have false teachers all around. (laughs) We have to have a way that we can respectfully have discussion and debate about the tenets of our faith, about the tenets of who Christ was, about the tenets of the the price that Christ paid for us and the power that comes only through his resurrection. We have to have a willingness to do that in our relationships, and especially in our marriages. I want to close you with just... A story that happened this week that was uh, incredibly um, emotional for my family. Um, I got a call yesterday morning from uh, from my cousin, and uh, they have been on a journey for many, many years um, to adopt a child, and they have been through some unbelievably painful experiences. But yesterday morning, I got a call um, in Omaha. And the call was simply this, Jeff, we we have a baby. (laughs) We have a baby. See, they got the call two months ago that a baby was ready. They made the trip to Indiana, and they got there, spent a couple days with the family and the baby, and as you can imagine how heart-wrenching these stories are, the mother made the choice to keep the baby. And so they came back. But I remember the conversation, and we, we cried a lot on the phone, all of us together. And I'll never forget the way that Lori phrased this. I'll, I'll never forget She said, Jeff, that God's plan was for that baby to be with his mom. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. He'll have a plan for something else down the road. We're going to keep our faith. We're going to keep our faith. We're going to keep our faith. And I just want to share this with you this morning, because it's the best example I can give of a young couple and how they ministered to somebody. So a week and a half ago, they got a call that there's a baby in North Carolina. You need to be on a plane within 24 hours, and there are no guarantees of anything, as you well would know. So they take the plane to North Carolina, they get a hotel, they spend seven days. In North Carolina, there's a seven-day window of decision for the family, for the, for the, for the mother of the child. And so what they decided to do, whether they made a conscious choice or not, is they simply went with an open heart, with an open mind, and they decided, whatever. however God's going to use us, we're going we're to let him use us. And what they learned along the way is the first thing they did is they met the mother. And this is a mom who's really had nothing go real well for all her life, and she has two older kids, and her biggest fear when she became pregnant again was her family might force her to have an, uh, an abortion. So you can imagine what she's carrying and the pain and the hurt and just the years of abuse and this and that. And I just remember Lori just telling me in tears all morning yesterday, she just said, all we wanted to do was just love on this, on this mom. We wanted to do everything. We want to do everything we can that so we can care for this baby. But we want to make sure we're loving on this mom first. Let's begin there. And so for a week, they spent time together every day just growing and nurturing that relationship And when the seventh day came up and the mother decided, yes, I'm going to release this child, paperwork gets done, Lori and Jay are on their way home. But the mom said, you know, you've shown me more love in the last two days than I've ever felt in my entire life. And when I think of Priscilla and Aquila and I think of our marriages and I think of our families and I think of our witness, I think about how important it is to always remember that the first thing we have to do is we have to be willing to take risks, we have to be willing to open up our hearts and we have to be willing to take the risk of getting hurt because we do live in a fallen world. And sometimes things happen that we can't explain. But all along this process, day after day, year after year after year, and they're going to be able to tell this story much better than I ever will. But one thing that I learned so much from them was simply this in their faith came the perseverance that Paul promises, in their faith comes the joy that eventually comes when we patiently wait and patiently wait. And we're excited as a family to welcome this little guy back. Back here in Iowa when we can all surround them and celebrate with them. But when I think about what a, what a family looks like, what a marriage looks like, it begins by opening up our homes. It begins with opening up our hearts. It begins with a sincere need to know Christ, to proclaim truth, and to build faith. I gotta believe that that mom... That mom who's had so little go right for her all of a sudden has a whole new perspective on the world. And i got to believe there comes a point where Lori and Jay can say, we do this and did this because of our love of Jesus Christ. And there's an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who has probably never heard it in their life. Or if they've heard pieces of it, they've never seen how it applies to their life because their life was so in shambles. It starts with love. It starts with opening a hand, opening a heart, Opening a home, so I want to share that with you this morning. That we as families, the greatest, the greatest testimony we have as a family, as a couple, is simply our faith in Christ. It's our lives and it's our actions and what we do because of the grace of Jesus. If you've not made that decision, it would be, it would be uh, maybe ministerial malpractice to not preach out of Acts every week and not simply do what Peter did in Acts 2.38 every time we do it. And that is simply this. If you're at a stage in your life where you're ready just to surrender and give your life over to God, if you're ready to receive that Holy Spirit that gives us the power, that gives us all those fruits of the Spirit, if you're ready to make that decision, I encourage you to do so today. I encourage you to do what Peter told those followers in Acts 2.38. Just repent and be baptized and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Your sins will be forgiven. You'll have eternal life with me. And not only will you have eternal life someday, but I can take your life right now and I can turn it to my purposes every single day for the rest of your life. That's the power of the gospel and it only comes from the Spirit of God. I want to give you that encouragement this morning. Can Can we pray this morning? Father God, we are just so thankful for this morning. Um, Father, I, I, I just want to lift up anyone in, in this uh, church this morning who is hurting for any reason. I know we've got uh, some, some members of this congregation who are in the hospital um, dealing with various um, illnesses and injuries. Uh, Father, there may be some emotional um, pain um, being experienced by some families here or, or some individuals Father, I just pray that we can take just this moment to reflect on Priscilla and Aquila. The fact that they were just humble people like all of us. Humble people who simply began to obey you and allow you to use them in furthering this movement, in furthering the gospel. Father, we know that our hope and our assurance in this world comes from the price that Jesus paid on the cross, the resurrection that he resurrected from and the promise of the Holy Spirit when we fully give our lives to Him. Father, help us this week just focus on our marriages, on our families, and on the surrounding families around us. Help us be your light to a world that so often is dark. Give us that encouragement and help us talk intentionally this week about how we, our spouses, and our friends. Can continue to grow in each other in faith with you, in faith in you, and grow each other, and reach out to the lost and care for those who are in need. We thank you for the gifts you give us, and Father, help us better understand and be even more bold on giving even more back, and be able to give everything more to you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.